Father, we uh, thank you so much for allowing us, God, to, to have, live in a place where we have the privilege to gather together. And God, once again, as we, as we open up your word, as we begin to uh, just examine what you have to say and look at how you affected and, and changed other people's lives, how you influenced their thought and their actions, Lord. We, we pray that uh, we could glean from them and allow that thing to, to go deep in our heart and allow that thing to, to change us. So give us ears to hear, but more importantly, Lord, let our hearts be, be tender and receptive. And God, I just pray that once again as we, as we dig in here that our lives would be changed, that we would not be the same people uh, that we were when we came in. So God, we give you this time and we thank you for it and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as Paul here is kind of continuing on that, that idea that we need to uh, be people who walk in joy and who rejoice. And listen, again, that's not tied to circumstances and how we feel. This is the, the, the biblical part of deep joy in your heart. And he's given us a key already. He's talked about the idea that Listen, that comes from understanding who Jesus is and following him and living with him. He gave us the command that we're to put others before ourselves. Then he gave us the example of Jesus laying his life down, Paul laying his life down. And then last time we looked at Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and how they even walked that walk. Now, listen, he's gonna shift a little bit, but he's still in that mode. How do I really experience all that God has for me? And I think there's only one way. It's, what do we use, listen, what do we use to validate our lives? What is the thing that we feel identifies us, the, the thing that is going to, uh, as people look at us, they're going to see? So Paul here is really strong, talking about his relationship with the Lord. And listen, he tears down some things that, a lot of us look for, maybe not his particular things, but we think, hey, if I achieve this, then I'm validated. Or I want people to identify and know me because of this. And Paul's gonna say, man, we need to listen. We need to have an entirely different view from kind of what the norm is. So as we dig through this, I don't want us to just think about, well, that was good for him, but that doesn't apply to me because we're gonna talk a lot about Judaism. And listen, most of us are not struggling with our past Judaism or we weren't identified by that. But there's other things. So look as he starts here in verse one of chapter three. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So listen, Paul's bringing something up. He's been talking about joy or rejoicing quite a bit. And he hasn't put it all together, this rejoice in the Lord. But now, listen, now he's kind of anchoring everything into that. This letter could be, you know, quote, the letter of joy and giving us that. But I find it interesting that in chapter three, he says, finally, then he goes on for another chapter and a half or another two chapters, right? It's kind of like people say when pastors say, in closing, and then they keep going. Have you noticed I never say in closing? Because I don't get caught on that. But he's not, he's not saying that he's wrapping it up. As a matter of fact, he could say 
Moreover, my brethren, we could translate it that way. So it's not like, you know, it's not like, hey, if you don't quit when you say you're quitting, then you can say I'm like the Apostle Paul because he does that in his letters. He's not doing that here. Here's what he's saying, though. Listen, he's saying to his brothers, he wants them to rejoice in the Lord. And here's what he says. I never get tired of telling you that. I never get worn out with that because I want you to be safe. I want you to understand that's what our relationship with Jesus Christ should accomplish in our lives. And again, it's not this external, you know, let's be happy because, hey, we're not always happy, right? We don't always have things to put a smile on our face. Sometimes we walk through difficult things, hard things, and things that are hard for us even to process and put together that we never thought in our lifetime we would ever experience. So listen, he's not talking about, you know, putting on this fake thing. He's talking about we rejoice, how? In the Lord. Just the fact that I'm in Jesus is enough for me to rejoice. So he's telling him, listen, I want you, I'm going to tell you this because I want you to be saved. And then, and then verse 2 kind of blows me away. Listen to verse 2. I love the way the New King James does it. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of mutilation. Now, some of yours only say beware, and they list all three things. I like the idea, and in the original language, it's that way. Listen, he's being very emphatic about something is coming your way. Something is, someone is going to try and infect you and, and affect your thinking and what's going on. And you need to be ready for it. And it's interesting, he starts out here with dogs. Now, most of us, when we think of dogs, we think of, you know, maybe some of us have little designer bag dolls, and dogs that you put in your little designer. Maybe we have those kind or whatever, but we kind of think of a household pet, right? When I, whenever I hear dog, I think of my dog, Rocky, that witnessed all over the neighborhood and, and kind of did those sort of things. And, and so you kind of think that way. When he's saying dogs, He's talking about savage packs of wild dogs. He's talking about, you know, gross things going on. And here's what's sort of interesting. When you ever watch wild dogs that way, they don't have a problem turning on each other. Have you ever thought about that? A wild pack of dogs, they don't have any problem turning on each other. Huh. Isn't it interesting that Paul would bring that up in the aspect of losing your joy in Christianity, and we need to be careful. Now listen, I know he's talking about Judaizers that are coming in, and listen carefully, these are people who claim to be Christians who are still saying you need to do some other things in order to prove your Christianity. You need to be circumcised, you need to keep the Sabbath, you need to do those things. So that's who he's talking about, and he's saying, listen man, beware of those guys, because not only are they gonna come and rip you off, they don't mind ripping each other off or ripping each other up. And he says, that's what's coming. So listen as he says, you need to beware of them. And then, oh, by the way, it's kind of funny because you know Jews in Paul's day, the Jews, not the Christian Jews or Judaizers, but Jews, you know what they call Gentiles? Dogs. Huh, huh, you think, you think maybe Paul in his day used to use that term? And now he's kind of turning it on them. And so those guys, and then he says also, then he says, listen, beware of evildoers. Now, now you think about that. Listen, the people who are coming in aren't labeling, they don't think they're evildoers. They think they're doing a good thing. 
They think they're furthering people's walk with the Lord. They're thinking they're helping them. Hey, you can't just have faith in Jesus Christ. You also need to, and you plug in whatever. For them, it was you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to keep the dietary laws. You need to do these things. For us today, hey, people add all kinds of things, don't they? I mean, even in, quote, the church, we add things like, you need to be a member of this church. You need to be baptized this way. You need to, you know, you need to, to sign this paper. You need to be part of this. Listen, and he says, listen carefully. He says, they're evil workers. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I don't know if the people were there yet. It's kind of interesting. As I studied this, some of the, some of the scholars say that they were on their way to Philippi and Paul got word of it. Others say they were already there, but Paul's warning them, listen, this is what's coming your way. And here's the thing, where, where's Paul? Do you remember? He's in prison. He can't be there. Can you imagine his heartache as he's thinking about these guys are coming and I wanna protect you. So first of all, listen, he's saying, man, you guys need to rejoice in the Lord. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus and don't ever, ever let anybody rip you off. And then he says, man, the dogs are coming. The evil workers are coming. And then the last thing, listen, Paul's not pulling any punches. The last thing he says here is beware of the mutilation. What's he talking about? He's talking about those people who are saying you have to be circumcised. And here's the thing, he takes it from circumcision to mutilation. Those are some heavy words, right? I read this and here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking those people who are coming, those Judaizers, I'm sure right now, if they read this verse, they would want to kill Paul. And these are people who are Christians. And Paul says, you gotta watch out for him. And listen, I don't think today we have too many people who are coming, wanting us to get circumcised and do those sort of things. But there are people who, listen, they wanna add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, they want to add something to it. They want to put a little bit more. Why? Because, you know, we live in a culture where we think for us to succeed and in order to be successful, we have to achieve something. We have to move up. Hey, we're, we're, we're graded on so many different things, right? From the time, listen, from the time you're in school till you go to your grade, man, you're graded on so many different things. And we think if I don't perform, I'm not going to be recognized. I'm not gonna be noticed. Nobody's gonna understand. And so we carry that into Christianity and we think we have to perform for God. We think that we have to somehow earn his love. If you're born again tonight, God loves you. And God loves you as much as he's ever gonna love you. You can't get, you can't get more love from God than you have as a born again believer. He loves you that way. And yet, listen, I get, man, I get because of the way we are and we think of things and, and we do things. So we want to, listen, we wanna be people who were recognized for something else. Just think, just think in our everyday life. Don't we have the NBA championship going on right now? Who's gonna win? It's over? Well, I missed it by, wasn't it on last night? Tuesday night. Okay, so, I don't watch the NBA, so. But right, so, hey, somebody was trying to earn that. 
they're gonna be known. I earned that. Whether we're talking about the Super Bowl, the NBA championship, all of these things, NASCAR stuff, all these things. And have you noticed every sport now has an ultimate, here's the biggest of the biggest, right? I mean, even in golf, they have the, the final, you know, where you can win the FedEx Cup, and that means I'm the one. And that's what we do. So think about how our society is affecting us in the church. It's hard to be content with, I'm in Christ Jesus. We sing the songs, but oftentimes it doesn't get deep in us. And so here's what Paul's saying. Beware of that. Now, listen, now he says, verse three, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Here's what I like. He just said, beware of the mutilators, the circumcision. And then he says this, we are the circumcision. Even in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign for the Jews of being born into that and being part of that but it was still an external sign of something that was supposed to happen internal. Listen, I know they did babies, but something was supposed to happen. It was never just get circumcised and you're in. Like some churches, just get baptized and you're in. Listen, if you're baptized, you haven't repented from your sins, you're just a wet sinner. I like to say that. Listen, that's all you are, and we need to understand that. So listen, he's saying, he's saying we are the real circumcision. Why? Because circumcision was always, always an issue of the heart. And we're the circumcision. Us, now, he's talking to the believers. Listen, we're the circumcision, he says, and we worship God in spirit. Does that sound familiar? Remember John chapter 4? I love that scene, or I, I, maybe it's chapter eight. I'm a, nope, chapter four, the woman at the well and that whole encounter and she's going, well, we worship on this mountain but the Jews worship on this mountain and remember what Jesus told her? Hey, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about, again, it's not about external things. And, and so Paul says, man, listen, we are the ones, we're the ones, hey, we worship in spirit. And then he says, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Notice this is the second time. You're kind of thinking he wants us to rejoice. And once again, not just putting on a happy face, but having that deep inside joy and rejoicing going on of who you are and who you belong to. And then he says, listen, he says, because we worship God in spirit, I believe, rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Oh, oh. You see, having confidence in the flesh isn't just a 21st century American thing. It's a first century Judaism thing. And it's people, listen, once again, we can do that, can't we? Hey, we do something good for the Lord and all of a sudden we kind of walk, get a little swagger going. Yeah, you know what I just did for Jesus? And we start, listen, we start, and he used me, and man, he's gonna use me again. And we start doing it. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't put any confidence in your flesh. It's not your flesh, it's not you. You should not identify by what you've done for him. And you should not try and find your identity in what you've done for Jesus. Your identity needs to be simply that you're in Christ. 
And so he says, listen, don't put any confidence. And again, I think he's, he's kind of he's talking to the Philippian believers about what's coming. But I also think, I think this is like one of those times, man, I really hope those Judaizers are listening. Because now he's going to lay it out. Listen, now Paul's going to get, like he's going to go overboard. I believe, I believe he's sitting in that prison, and I believe he's like, I can't believe these guys are coming in and doing this. I can't believe they're doing that. And now I'm coming after them. And I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to come lightly, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to make it okay. As a matter of fact, I'm going to call them dogs. And then I'm going to call them evil workers. And then I'm going to call them mutilators of the flesh. But we're not that. And he says, because we don't have confidence in the flesh. Now he gets down to the nitty-gritty. This is the part, this is the part that I, 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 I just kind of like, because here's what I think. I think Paul is like, I'm done being nice. I'm done being the good guy. And if you want to talk turkey, let's do it. Do you ever do that with people who sometimes, man, they push you and push you and push you? I had somebody one time pushing and pushing and pushing me and, uh, uh, about, about, number one, it was just about the Bible, and I finally got like pushed in the corner and I finally said, okay, if you want to have this conversation, I will be glad to have this conversation with you. But let's be honest, I have studied the Bible for 20 years, now 30 years. Studied, not just read it, studied it for 30 years. You ready? You want to have that conversation? Let's go. And he went, I think I need to go home. And that's what Paul's doing here. Listen, those guys are coming in, and here's what they're boasting about. You want to talk about boasting? Here's what Paul's going to say. Want to talk about boasting? Let's go, right? He's kind of had it. And, and listen, this is some of the deepest autobiographical stuff Paul ever says about himself, and especially about his past. He didn't talk about his past a lot. But here, man, he opens up and he goes for it. So he says, listen, we have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I most or, I, I or more so. I like most or. It's kind of a good way. I have no confidence in my ability to speak. <laughs> so listen, listen how great this is. Here's what he said. You want to talk about it? You want to talk about achievements? You want to talk about who you are? You want to talk about what you've done? Let's talk about it. And this is kind of crazy, isn't it? Does this sound like the Paul that we know? The Paul that went in and planted churches? the Paul that would always point people to Jesus, are you kind of getting his heart right here? He's had it. And I think he's a little bit desperate, not in a sense that he's lost it, for those people in Philippi, because he can't be there. If he could be there, he could do, take care of it, but he can't be there. So he's saying, listen, man, you want to talk about somebody that could have confidence? Let's talk about them, and now let's look at my life. And here's his life. We're going to read it and then come back. But he says, listen, 
Uh, he says, have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He says, circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He lists seven things there, and he kind of just rattles them off, right? Then he goes, you want to talk about, you want to talk about your pedigree? You want to talk about what, you know, what your family was like? You want to talk about what you've achieved? Let's go. He says, first of all, he goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What's the big deal about that? Here's what he's telling them. I wasn't a proselyte into Judaism, I was raised in Judaism from an infant. I started from an infant. According to Leviticus, my parents followed the law, and I was circumcised on the eighth day. And then he says, of the stock, right? Of the stock of Israel. I'm part of Israel. I've always been part of Israel. That's who I am genetically. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. My parents were Hebrews. My grandparents were Hebrews. You getting what he's saying? So let's, here's what he's saying. Okay, Judaizers, Judaizers, let's talk. I know what I'm talking about. Why? I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was part of this family. I was part of this move of God as, as, a, as, a, as a nation. And my parents and my grandparents and my grandparents, we were all Jews. And then, here's what I love, man. He kind of throws this one in there that, that I don't think a lot of us would catch. Well, the Hebrew of Hebrews came after this, sorry. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Why does he bring that up? Why does he bring Benjamin up? Saul, someone said, yeah, that could be it, but even greater than that. Do you understand that Benjamin was the last son? born to Jacob and do you know where Benjamin was born in the promised land he's the only son that was born in the promised land a lot of history with Benjamin and Benjamin was the only tribe that went with Judah when the split was we just read about that if you're doing your your Bible reading right we just had the civil war where you had Rehoboam to the, to the south and Jeroboam to the north. I always like to tell people it's the Boam brothers, Ray and Jerry. It kind of helps you, helps you remember that. It's kind of a thing. It's, you know, it's stuck in my head good. And you had the Civil War and 10 tribes went to the north, two stayed to the south. Benjamin stayed with Judah. And that's an interesting thing as you begin to look at it. Benjamin's a very special, listen, he was a special son of Jacob and then it's a special tribe that even, even when it talks about, it never says hardly ever Benjamin and Judah. What does it say? Judah. But yet Benjamin was right there. And then the first king of Israel was Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. And then we have this Saul. Do you understand what he just said? Not only, listen, not only am I all those other things, I'm also from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, another fascinating thing, I believe, is people say, by the time the first century came around, every, every Jew, and here's the, they make a blanket statement, so we always have to be careful of that. Every Jew had lost their, their family line and their heritage. Huh, seems to me Paul remembered. 
right? He knew what tribe he was from. And I think a whole bunch more knew what tribe they were from. There's this whole group of people and their last name is Levi. One of them makes pants. I think they knew what tribe they were from, huh? Usually if your last name's Levi, that might mean something. There's a whole bunch of other Jews named Simeon. You think they might know where they were from? It always cracks me up when people go, well, they just don't know. I'm thinking, no, you don't know. I think they know. Paul surely knew from the tribe of Benjamin. So now we have all that. Listen, he laid that part. So this is kind of, listen, he starts out giving them his pedigree. Let's say it that way. Here's my pedigree. Do you put stock and faith in your heritage and who you are? Is that something that you want to be used as, this identifies me? We need to be careful. Listen, I don't think there's necessarily something wrong, but I also think we need to be careful with that. And we need to watch out. And then he says, listen, not only that, not only does he talk about that, now he gets into his relationship or his walk. He says, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Now, when we hear Pharisee, what do we think? We call people Pharisees that are hypocrites, right? In Paul's generation, in Paul's day, do you understand that if it wasn't for the Pharisees, we probably would not have the Old Testament? They were the ones who protected it. They were the ones who took care of it. They were the ones that made sure that it was copied right and preserved for us. So, you know, by the time, listen, by the time of Jesus, yeah, they had been, they had been somewhat messed up and done bad things. But as far as a group, when you just think of a Pharisee, they're the ones who protected the law. Most of the Pharisees had the entire Old Testament memorized. Can you imagine memorizing numbers? First Chronicles, I'm sure they skipped those. That was sarcasm. <laughs> Listen, so here's what he's saying. There's not too many. As a matter of fact, most people estimate by the time of Paul's life, there were maybe 6,000 Pharisees. That's not a lot. And here's what he says. You want to talk about the law? You want to talk about circumcision? You want to talk about keeping the Sabbath? You want to talk about the other 613 laws? I was a Pharisee. Wow. You see what's going on here? You see, he's ready, right? He's ready to do battle. So he goes, listen, man, I was a Pharisee according to the law. And then this one really gets me. He says, according to zeal, concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. Hey, nobody else was doing that. Do you remember in Acts chapter 9? Paul went and asked for a letter to go to Damascus to take care of the church that's going on there, and he goes on the road to Damascus. Remember what happened on that journey? We're gonna find out here in a minute. But listen, man, Paul wanted to kill Christians. He says, you wanna talk about you Judaizers, you're coming in and trying to do certain things? I was willing to kill them all. I thought they were that bad of a cult. I thought they were ruining everything. So. You want to talk about zeal? You guys' zeal looks like, looks like playtime compared to my zeal. And then the last thing he brings up, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul wasn't saying he was sinless. Here's what he's saying. I was meticulous about keeping the law. 
not just the top two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, not just the top 10, which I'm not gonna try and recite, all 613. Every time I think about that, it blows my mind. I mean, you know, I, I know a few of the Old Testament laws that are not within the top 10. I know a few of those, but 613, it would be hard to try and keep track of 613 laws, right? He's kind of thinking about, can I eat that bug? How many legs does it have? And you have to think through those things, or my favorite one is roadkill. Listen, God doesn't put it that way. He doesn't say, thou shall not eat roadkill. But he does say, you can't eat anything that is killed by the roadside. So roadkill, right? So, I mean, those are just a couple. You can't eat fabrics, the two fabrics, or you can't eat, can't wear. I guess you can't eat them either. But you can't wear two different fabrics. Well, you know, you kind of get into that. You can't, you can't cook a kid in its mother's milk. Therefore, by the time we're into this century, here's what the Jews do. Not only can you not cook a kid in a mother's milk, what do they do? You can't drink milk and have meat at the same time. Kosher Jews have two refrigerators. One for dairy products, one for meat products. Never the twain shall meet. It's like, that's bizarre. So here's what Paul's saying. I was good at that. Here's what he's saying. You want to talk about that? I was good at that. I made that my life's goal. That's what I did. So now, here's, here's the way I, I end this. So you guys, you guys want to talk about this? You Judaizers, you want to talk about, want to talk about where we're really at? And by now, here's what I'm thinking. They're thinking, uh-oh. Uh-oh. And maybe, listen, maybe even the, the Philistines, the Philippians, well, probably the Philistines too. But the Philippians are thinking, wow. How much did they really know about Paul? How much did you know about Paul before we read this tonight? Wow, wow. And then he says this. Listen, man, this is the blow of all blows. This is like the greatest. Verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. yes. It's like Paul is a spiritual accountant. And on this column, he had all of these gains. There's seven listed there. Here's my gain. And in one swipe of the mighty pen, he took all of that credit and put it into debt. It's gone. It's gone. Why? He goes, I would gladly, I gladly gave that up, right? All those things are lost to me or that were gained. These I have counted lost for Christ. I don't care about those things. They're not what's going to identify me anymore. I'm gonna find my identity in Christ and Christ alone, period. That's huge when you think about, when you think about that. When he's walking away, listen, what did Paul walk away from? He walked away from being a Pharisee and in that inner circle of leaders in Israel Spiritual leaders, he walked away probably from all of his family. Do you think his parents were really proud when Paul said, hey, I'm following Jesus? Yeah, and it just, just go down. He, I'm sure he gave up all of his social uh, climb and, and all of that. He gave all, he says, listen, it's all lost 
because now I'm gonna follow Jesus. And listen, he's not going like this, I lost everything to follow Jesus. Do you know what I gave up? Because that's what some of us do. You know what I gave up to follow Jesus? Can I be blunt? I really don't care. Because that's not the point. The point is your heart. You see, Paul says all of that's lost. He wasn't saying, <laughs> he goes, man, well, look, he goes further. This one, this one really cracks me up, right? All those, what things were gained, those seven things I listed were gained to me. These I have counted as uh, lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence uh, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Listen now, what did he just say in that passage? What did he say? I count what? All things, not just, not just the seven I listed, everything, everything in my life, I don't count worthy to be compared to the knowledge of Christ. Or I like the way, listen, I like the way the NIV puts it. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? Underline that in your Bible. My Lord, not the Lord, my Lord. Paul doesn't say that very often. This is huge. Do you hear the heart of this man? Here's what I was, but it doesn't matter. Nothing matters compared to getting to know my Lord. He's gonna go on with that for a moment, so we wanna plant that seed. And listen, that word for know is intimately known, not just I know about. We can know about people, right? It's kinda of like this, a lot, of, a lot of you guys that I'm looking at, you guys know me, but only a few of you know me. And that's a big difference, right? And so he's talking about that second, I know. I want to know. I want to intimately. I want to be close. I want those details. So listen, man. Again, again, he says, he says, all things are lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now this is a guy who's sitting in prison, so obviously, obviously he's lost everything, right? He's at that point, and you know, I, I, I don't think we all need to go to prison to prove that point. But he says, listen, man, I, I've lost everything. Everything is gone. Family, friends, material things, you know, I, I got nothing. Even some of the people that went to prison with me, now they're turkeys and, and they're doing their own thing. He doesn't say that, but he thinks that. <laughs> but then he says, listen, then he says, and I love the way the, the New King James and stuff, they try and clean it up. They're rubbish. Do you know what the old King James says? It says it's dung. Do you know what dung is? Do I have to explain that? Everybody know? All right. Here's what, think about what he says. Listen, and, and, and the Greek word is a lot worse than our English word dung. Just look it up. I can, well, you know what? I have something to find here. Want me to define it for you? Listen, listen. It can, re, it can mean muck of many kinds, es, es, excrement, 
rotten food, bits of left of a meal as not worth eating, a rotten corpse, nastiness, decay are constant elements of its meaning. It's coarse, ugly, and it's a violent word implying worthlessness, uselessness, and repulsiveness. That's a lot of definition for one word. So you, you kind of listen to what he's saying. All of that, that's what he thinks of it. Wow. That's intense, isn't it? I mean, aren't you a little bit blown away? And he says, listen, this is what I think of things. Why? Compared to knowing Jesus, what is it that compares to knowing Jesus? What is it that even comes close? What is even in the same universe? And he says, that's where I'm at, and that's where we need to be at. Listen, he's not just talking about him. He's talking about all of us, and he says, listen, all of that is rubbish, is dung compared to my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm paraphrasing. I want to be found in Christ. I remember, I, I, I just have to share this, it came in my head. The very first time I taught at Calvary Chapel Bible College when I was going to the Bible College, they let the students teach once in a while on Sunday nights. And the very first time I taught, I wanted to teach this passage. I don't know why. Dumb, I guess. But I remember I got to this part about rubbish and I wanted to say dung and I couldn't remember the word dung. And I'm going, well, the King James says, and I couldn't think of it. I'm <laughs> just like, and I didn't write it down, of course. And I'm just like, uh, uh. And three students yelled, dung, Pat, dung, it's dung. So I'll never forget that. So whenever I teach this, I kind of, it rings in my head. Then the director gave me a good clue that I'm not going to share with you because I use it sometimes. He said, when you can't remember the word, just go, you know that word. Like, you're, like it's on purpose and then people say it to you and you go, yeah, that's right, you know. So anyway, if I ever do that, now you know why. You know why if I'm talking and I'll go, you guys know, and you say it to me and I just like, I act all smart. <laughs> and that stuff I have to get rid of. So listen, he says, I, I count them as dung that I may gain Christ, verse nine, and be found in him. Do you, you kind of get this idea? that Paul was about this deep emotional and real relationship with Jesus. He's not talking about being found in him when he dies. I want to be found in him right now. I want people, when they look at me, to understand I have this dynamic, real relationship with this one called Jesus Christ, who's my Lord, not just the Lord, my Lord. Again, I challenge you, go through Paul's writings, see how many times he says that. And he says, listen, man, he says, I want to be found in him, and then not having, verse 9, my own righteousness, which, which is from the law. If anybody could talk about having righteousness from the law, that guy could. I'm sure there were some other Pharisees who were good too at that, but Paul's saying, listen, man, I don't care about that righteousness. Why? Because the Bible tells us it's all filthy rags, but he says, listen, he says, he says uh, that uh, I don't, uh, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Oh, oh. You see, we can list all of these things we do and God is not impressed. And I'm gonna be really honest, most people you listen to aren't either. They're just being kind listening to you. 
But here's what he says. It's not my righteousness. It's God's righteousness in me. It's the fact that he works through it. I want to be clear. He's not talking about no righteousness. He's talking about a righteousness that comes from a relationship that is something that grows within you, not something you work up, not something you read about, not something, it's something that is real inside of you and it's coming out of you because it's God's righteousness. And you're, listen, you're not looking to save yourself, you're looking for God to demonstrate his love. Well, let's go on. He says, listen, he says, the righteousness which is from God by faith, verse 10, that I may know him, that I wanna know him. Again, he brings that up, right? Do you kinda get the idea? How long has Paul been walking with Jesus? About 30 years. It's been a while. And what is he saying? I still wanna know him. If you've had a long-term relationship with anybody, you understand something. Just because you've had a long-term relationship, you still can get to know them. I've been with Gaynell more than 50 years now, and I still, man, there's still things I wanna know. There's still things I wanna discover. There's still things I wanna understand. And part of it is, I know she's a woman, so it's very limited, but, because women are hard to understand. I'm not putting women down, I'm saying guys understanding women. Shoo. What did I mean by that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but listen, Here's what Paul's saying after a 30-year relationship with the Lord. I want to know him. Do you feel that way? Not I'm glad I was introduced to him 30 years ago on the road to Damascus. Not I'm glad he interfered in my life, although all that's important. I want to know him. I want to know him today. I want to know him more today than I knew him yesterday. Are you getting the heart of this guy? Man, this is like, this is mind-boggling. This is some of the greatest insight into his life. He says that I may know him and that I may know the power of his resurrection. Wow. Do you hear Paul saying, what is the, in our minds, what do you think is one of the most powerful things God ever did? I think raising Jesus from the dead. And here's what Paul says. I want to know that power. Not I want to know that power so I can do great things. I want to understand what went on. I want to understand that power. And then, listen, he goes a little bit further. This is kind of hard for some of us. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. This is the third time Paul brought up fellowship. Check it out. Go back and read chapters one and two. Third time he brought up fellowship. The other fellowships we all kind of like. You like knowing the fellowship? You want to be joined, united, koinonia, with the sufferings of Christ? Woo! That's somebody who's pretty dedicated. I want to know. I want to have, have the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to understand that. I want that to be part of my life. Now, I believe it is part of Paul's life. I mean, if you read his list of things he's gone through, he's pretty much accomplished. The only thing he hasn't done is get crucified. But he's pretty much accomplished the rest of it. And he goes, I want to know the fellowship. I want to do that. And he says, listen, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Now listen, this isn't a death wish. Paul just wants to understand what all of that means and what does the death of Jesus mean in your life? I think to me, it's one of those miraculous things that you got to look at and you got to go, yes. His death gave me life. 
He willingly sacrificed himself so I could have life. Oh, and then, here's the, here's the kicker part. And, verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now listen carefully, Paul's not going, I really, really hope I'm gonna go to heaven. But he goes, listen carefully. If I don't know him, and I'm not longing for fellowship with him, and longing to know him more, am I really gonna be there in the resurrection? Or was it all just a rude that I was playing? I don't think there's anything wrong with challenging ourselves. And I believe that's what Paul's saying here. That somehow, listen, by any means that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I think that's implied my personal opinion, he's gone talking about the rapture. He kind of wants to be part of that. I don't think he's just talking about resurrection. I think he's talking, but greater than that, here's what he's talking about. I'm doing this checklist of my life to make sure I'm in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be like those dogs I don't want to be like those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. I want to have a real, alive, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. Is that our hearts? You see, is, is that where we're at? Or are we just kind of people who show up for Bible study and go on about our lives and nothing really changes? We're people who do church. We're people who serve and make sure that people know, hey, you know, I teach Sunday school, you know, and we're kind of letting people know, here's, you should see my lanyard. It's even got my picture on it. <laughs> Want to see it? It's like, I think outside of the circle, nobody cares. Don't wear it to work. <laughs> people are working and go, what is that, you dork? I'm a teacher at Calvary Chapel Sunday School. That's what it is. Now no one's ever gonna wear their lanyards again. <laughs> Sorry. But you see my point? Sometimes we look for validation in all the wrong places. And it's ingrained in our culture. Listen, I understand. This is a battle for us. It's ingrained in our culture. It's ingrained in us from the time. Think about, think about when you went to school. What was ingrained in you? Success, 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 success. If you're like me and you're rebellious, you go the opposite direction. But it's ingrained, isn't it? Think about it, it's ingrained. You gotta be successful, you gotta be successful. In business, you gotta be successful. As a pastor, you gotta be successful. How about this? I just wanna know him. That's all. I just wanna know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering, that somehow, somehow, I can begin to comprehend his death. That by some means, I'm gonna be part of that someday. But right now, I just want to know him. That's what Paul's saying. And that's what he wants for his Philippian believers. You want to have the joy Paul's talking about? That's the only way to have it, by knowing him intimately, and closely. Let's stand up and pray. Father, 
we do thank you tonight for your word. And the challenge, we look at, we look at something like this and we can, we can easily read it and chalk it up to, well, you know, that's Paul talking about Judaism. Judaism's not part of my life. I don't have to worry about those things. Or we can be real and honest and begin to do an evaluation of our life. Begin to ask ourselves, what is it? What is it that I look to for validation in my own life? What are the things that I maybe talk to people about? How often do I tell them, all I want is to know Jesus? And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to begin to comprehend those things so that I can become more like him in my life. God, thank you. Thank you for men like Paul who walked the walk and went through those things. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that attitude of prayer for another couple more minutes tonight. And if you are here and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, you've never recognized what he's done for you on the cross, tonight is the night. Listen, this is a good time to do it. It's a good time to shed all of that stuff you've counted on. Maybe you've been a real religious person Maybe you've been a person who, you know, you've, you've accomplished certain things, even in Christianity, that you've kind of counted as, as, quote, brownie points or, or good points for you. And yet, you know in your heart of hearts, you've never even got on your, your knees and got on your face and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. So if I'm talking to you tonight, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to change. The Bible's pretty clear that you need to come to the place where you understand you're a sinner. Shouldn't be hard. That's a reality that all of us know. Might be hard to kind of admit it, not even out loud, but just admit it in our hearts, but you have to come to that place. And then you have to understand that your sin has separated you from God. That's the wages of sin. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, went to the cross so that you could have a relationship with God and he can wipe away all of your sin, take care of it, and tonight all you have to do is accept that. Say yes to him. So if you wanna do that, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you can say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently. But the most important thing, this has to come from your heart. This has to be a real sincere prayer. If you're backslidden tonight, say this prayer with us. Man, come home. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say it right where you're at. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I'm asking you to be my Lord 
and my Savior.